All right. Well, it is good to be back with Father Bill and Father Chris. It's been a while. Um, we we had a pretty good little stretch there where we were where where we were offering some reflections on the lectionary passages, um, and maybe we'll pick that up again in the future. But we wanted to do something a little bit different, and that is. Uh, we wanted to do a series for Advent. And I have to say, this was partially, I, I looked for it, now I can't find it, but I know I've got it somewhere. This was partially inspired by a tweet from Fleming Rutledge. And really, honestly, just the good Reverend Fleming Rutledge's talk about Advent for the last several years. I mean, I think that was the first thing I ever heard her talk about. And in this tweet, that I'm thinking of, she ends it by saying, Advent isn't for sissies. <laughs> yes, which is, she, you know, something for a sister to say. Yeah, <laughs> right. She does not play games when it comes. Well, she doesn't play well, games. Well, she says we should be reading Cormac McCarthy, like The Road and Blood Meridian. Yes, right, right. Which, thank you, know, you, thank you. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Right. And I'm over here reading a Christmas Carol by Dickens again. Like, I'm I'm off. Hey, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't even be in the conversation. There's no shame in that. I mean, absolutely not. No shame at all. So, this series that we're going to do on Advent is just no. Look Go up ahead. look up Fleming Rutledge's tweets uh, for related to Advent, and you'll know kind of what the inspiration is for this. Um, but I am really. One of the things that's different as well is that we will be having some songs. We'll have a bit of music in this series. Um, our dear friend, Father JP, has agreed um, to offer some music for us. And if we're really lucky and blessed, Reverend Diana will also get in on some of that. And... Um, yeah, so we'll have music, we'll talk about some of the lectionary passages, and our meditations will be primarily on the traditional Advent themes, which if you're not aware of those, many of you are probably aware of hope, peace, joy, and love, but uh, some, of the, some of the older themes are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And we, you... we want to do it, right? We want to do it in a way that would make Fleming Rutledge proud, make Cormac McCarthy crowd just you know dark and hard like that's that's our goal but you know the leonard cohen you want it dark you want it darker that's what yes. advent you want it darker <laughs> yes this, this podcast is for you that's that's the goal and that's if anyone goal. grew up being called the sissy i just want you to know on my end i'm gonna make sure advent is for you and i'm gonna make sure you know we we heal some of those wounds so it's fine <laughs> Listen, I'm just quoting Fleming, so I don't know what I don't know what you want me to say. All right. Well, then I guess it would be at this point, because we're going to have to insert some of this music later. So at this point, we'll go ahead and share with you the music from JP and Diana Robles. And with fear and trembling 
Let's go ahead and go to the gospel text. This is for Advent 1, and we are in year A. Um, Bill, would you take it away with the gospel text? Yep, so this is Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So, as we were preparing for this, uh, and as Chris noted before, there are four themes for Advent are, you know, if you if you do a little research on it, you'll see that various parts of the church celebrate four sort of different themes. One is hope, peace, joy, and love. And the other, uh, more positively, is death, judgment, heaven, and hell 
for everybody who's looking for a real yuletide feel there death judgment heaven and hell and then and i if anybody's listening and they have not gotten this uh resource there's a book a little book called god is in the manger and it's like collected works from dietrich bonhoeffer i believe chris yeah that's right i think and in that book the four themes are waiting mystery redemption and incarnation and so having looked at that today I decided that part of what I'm going to do um, for the Advent season uh, as I preach through it is I'm actually going to use all three. And so week one, I'm going to talk about how the relationship between hope and death is mediated by waiting. The relationship between peace and judgment is mediated by mystery or imagination. The relationship between joy and heaven is mediated by redemption. And I think possibly summing up the entire season of Advent and where it's sending us, uh, the relationship between love and hell is mediated by incarnation. And so uh, today we're going to be looking at the texts and we're going to be talking about how those texts relate to the theme of hope, death, and waiting. Excellent. All right, Brewer, what do you think? Where should we start? Want to start with the gospel? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, this is, of course, a passage that I hated to hear growing up because it um, it triggered all my rapture fears. Mm. Mm. Say, say more about that when you say your rapture. I, I know what you mean, but well, I mean, it, yeah. So I guess if you didn't if you didn't grow up, hearing... let's not assume everybody who's going to hear this all seven or eight people who are going to hear this. Right. I just assume we're terrified yeah. by the rapture. Right. There yeah. are healthy people out there, boys. Yeah, <laughs> there are. I, I assure you. I, I hope, I hope that's true. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, rapture theology is this, this idea, of course, that was preached very heavily and seriously in so many of the churches that I grew up in. I say churches because we moved to several different States um and uh it is that the lord is coming back and that meant something very specific the lord was going to come back and was going to rapture those who were saved leaving behind everyone else and then depending on you know there were different kinds of reads on that what what that would mean and for those who were left but but basically it was it was all pretty grim and uh, terrifying. So I had this fear. So when I heard this passage, and as it was preached to me, as as a kid, right, uh, that um, two will be left in the field, and one will be taken, and one left, it was because two people are going to be there, and one person's going to be <laughs> raptured, disappeared, yes. yeah, disappear. Uh, and, uh, and, and one will be left. And yeah, and of course it goes on, and this, I mean, this is a big part, right, of why I, the the good news, quote, didn't sound very good to me um, for, for an awful long time, and so texts like this induced fear, but I think the, the, the wrong kind of fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, that, that's, it's the kind of fear that comes there's there's something it's not only unhealthy it's 
it's conspiratorial. It's like fearing that yep. you're going to be snatched away by aliens. It's got that yep. kind of weirdness to it. And just because totally. it's familiar to a lot of us, it doesn't make it any less weird. Right? Yeah. And I, I, I was talking earlier tonight with some folks about Maximus's 200 chapters on theology. And interestingly enough, he references this passage we're talking about now. But he, even though Maximus clearly has what we would call an eschatology, he doesn't think about it as Jesus' words about the coming of the Son of Man as being in some, in any way, or yeah, being in any way limited to what we would think of as the end of history. Yeah. So when we think about, and I think this is true, no matter how healthy or unhealthy your account of the rapture was, and even whether or not there was an account of the rapture. We we thought, and I think many of us still do, think of the coming of Jesus as a historical event that's out in our future somewhere. It's further down the timeline. Right. But what you see in the tradition, and Maximus is, you know, the example I was reading earlier tonight, the coming of Jesus is always at hand. Jesus is always present and always present in a way that is disclosing his fullness and the fullness of God. And so his coming is not something off down in my future, down the line somewhere. It's at hand. It's right. It's today. I mean, scripture says this over and over and over and over again, the, the Romans passage in this selection of texts. It's today. The Lord is here. And there is something, the end of all things is ahead of us in some sense. But the Lord's coming is not only then, it's also now. It's both now and then. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the ways in which we have to account for an Advent theology of death is to recognize that that is inseparable from the coming of the Lord. And we can't talk about death rightly if we don't talk about it as a way in which the coming of the Lord comes to us. Right? Origin and uh, St. Chrysostom both talk about this passage in that the easy way to look at it is, and as they phrase it, and I think this is what going with what you say, Chris, uh, Christ's return at the end of time, they say, not, mm-hmm. not in time, but to time or at the end of it. But more importantly, they, they talk about how this is, this the, the way that we can be present is to number our days and know that like the day of our death is coming. And I think um, throughout these texts that we'll talk about, I think one of the ways these texts to me are about how we avoid hope because hope is actually quite painful when you, when you embrace it. Yes. Right. And so um, re- real quick, there's the movie, the Shawshank Redemption. And in that movie, Andy Dufresne goes, he gets put in the hole because he he locks himself in the bathroom and he plays Mozart for the entire prison. And the warden comes and like throws him in, in, into solitary confinement for like two weeks. And when he comes back, he's all happy. And the prisoners are asking him like, you know, why, why are you so happy? And he said, I have the music with me. And his friend Red says, they let you tote the record player? And he said, no. I listen to the music in my heart and red says, there's no point in playing an instrument in prison. And Andy says, 
here's where it makes the most sense because music gives you hope. And the minute he says that, Red looks at him and says, hope is a dangerous thing. It drives men insane. And he gets up and walks away. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a sense where Advent teaches us. Advent is the beginning of teaching us what ordinary living is. Like we're moving toward ordinary time again. Mm-hmm. And part of ordinary time is, I think, facing the pain of hope. Like hope makes me naive. Hope makes opens me to disappointment. Hope opens me to realizing maybe that the things I'm hoping for aren't the things I should be hoping for. And like, like Red says in the Shawshank, it could drive you insane. But I think we have to wrestle with what hope means. And part of how we do that is to know that our time is limited. Yeah, and so, and I think, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I think all obviously all of this stuff is many sided. There's a there's a line somewhere in Bonhoeffer, but I can't I can't remember where it is. I think it's in the ethics book where he he talks about how the resurrection of jesus does not save us from the fear of death and what he what he means by that at least as i'm reading him and hauerwas is the one who drew my attention to this first is that what he means is the hope the gospel gives us is not a hope that life will be better for us than it would have been if we hadn't known Jesus or that life will be good for us in a way it's not good for anyone else. Ultimately, the gospel is not telling us we're going to get out of life alive. The gospel is not a way to keep from dying. Hebrews 5, in the days of his flesh, Jesus cried out with loud cries to the one who was able to save him from death and was heard. And was heard because the hope we have is not that God will keep us from dying, but that God will save us from death. Yep. We have to be in it first. Like a human life is not, is not a human life until it's a life that's been completed by death. And it's, that is our hope that my completed life, the one that ended with death or that will end with death is in fact, then taken up into the life of God. And our, our account, is not so much much of what we're given is not so much hopeful as it is wishful thinking you know it's fantasy rather than truly imagining it's fantasizing rather than truly imagining what god has promised us like rapture theology that that's the kind of that's right fantasy. Yeah, and I, I i think you know I, I don't want to shame anyone who's been taught that who has taught it but the theology itself, I mean, it's an anomaly in the church's history for a reason. Because, I mean, in the big scheme of things, it's it was dominant in our circles. But in the big scheme of things, it's a fringe thought. And it's a fringe thought because it actually distorts this hope that we have. right? And it introduces not just wishful thinking, but a kind of conspiratorial fancy. I think it's it's a it's a diseased way of of seeing reality, and it's why it terrifies you as a kid. That's why it's why children are horrified by it. And I think you know it's one thing to talk about the the I don't know what you want to say the 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 potential pitfalls of rapture theology, but I think there's something very interesting in the text. Like Jesus references the days of Noah where they were, you know, they sat down to eat and rose up to play. They were marrying and giving in marriage. And so there's the sense in which like 
they were avoiding their mortality by overindulging in creation as like, I don't know what you want to say, like a way of numbing themselves toward the inevitable. But then Jesus makes another move. He, he doesn't say two men were eating and one was taken. He, he says he adds work into the mix. So like the, the Genesis text is, you know, they, uh, they sat down to eat and rose up to play. And then Jesus says two men are in the field, one's taken, two women are grinding at the mill, one's taken. And so I think there's this way in which whether it's entertainment on the one hand or productivity on the other, we can use those things to avoid our mortality, to avoid having to have hope and indulge in those things as a way of just like sort of like pretending that time limit doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this text is about waking up to the fact that our days are numbered. And if we knew the time or hour, we would avoid the gospel life up until that moment. Yeah, I mean, juxtapose for just a moment that the the line at the end of the gospel passage, right? If the if the owner of the house had known at what part of the in what part of the night the thief was coming, right? So we're we're imagining we're we're in the home the Lord is the thief who's coming in the middle of the night, but then lay that right alongside Romans. You know what time it is. It's time for you to wake from sleep for salvation right. is nearer, right? The night is far gone. The day is near. So what you see here when you put them together, I think is yes, the Lord is like a thief, but what he's bringing is the day. He's bringing the light. So the, the fear is only the fear if if you fear it should only be the fear of am i ready am, 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 the alertness of being ready for the lord to come you don't need to fear it because all that's going to happen is the light is going to to save you from all that the thieves want to do in the night right the thief of the lord the lord who is the thief saves us from the other thieves that want to still kill and destroy because when he comes in like a thief he brings light to this to the situation and i think I, just to veer back for just a moment to brewer to brewer's story i i think it should tell us a lot when what it is that frightens our children what is it that terrifies them and are we talking about things that awaken this hope in them or does it leave them with terror and i think Bill, to your point, if we were to talk about God the way that Scripture does, then that awakens our children's imagination to why would you not want to see this God, to know this God, and at least to, to awaken their their sense of wonder to to what's possible because of the coming of God, rather than you know terrorizing their their little minds and hearts with what we have here death judgment heaven and hell and i i i don't want to overstate it because again all of us come from different experiences different backgrounds you know i, I don't want to map my story onto anyone else's but this season of advent is looking forward to the coming of the lord in hope with joy with with anticipation with delight and we should be able to talk about death, judgment, heaven, and hell in ways that awaken wonder and bring us in tune with mystery rather than terrify us and terrorize us. 
So this is what I was going to ask, I mean, regarding the theme, which is just kind of that, that basic question about, um, you know, well, why, I mean, why these themes, right, when we're talking about the coming of the Lord, but it's at least in part, what I hear you saying, uh, Chris, is, well, talking about the coming of the Lord faithfully has everything to do with how we think about something like death. And judgment and heaven and hell, right? So, oh, come, Emmanuel, right? But also come to our come to our imaginings of death and what that means for us. Yes, <laughs> judgment to heaven to hell, all that. Yeah, and I'm gonna get really personal here, maybe awkwardly personal, but I, since my stroke, I've been pretty, pretty much daily. And I've terrorized by fear of dying and fear of being dead, what death means for me, what, what it would mean for my kids, for Julie. And I've experienced that in all kinds of ways. I mean, all the pretentious, dark, brooding ways you would expect me to experience it and, and make fun of me for having experienced it. So, But one of the things that I'm learning through this kind of ongoing battle with that sense of death is which ironically enough was preceded by being asked to write an article on the theology of death and i made the joke which i will never do again when they asked me to write it well i'll write it but it might be the death of me and then <laughs> in the middle of that i have the stroke and all that's kind of fallen out from that related to my health but it's been as, as I'm kind of fighting through all of that, which you guys know about. I I'm coming to see that there's something about death, dying, being dead, that belongs to what it means to be a person and what it means to be human. That we we don't know, put it in theological terms. John Bear, Father John Bear, talks about it this way, that Jesus, by the way that he dies, shows us what it is for God to be God, or what it is to be God. Jesus dies in a particular way, and that the way that he dies is revelatory. Right? Not just that he dies, but how he dies. And Rahner is the one who taught me that a human life is not complete until it's over. It has to finish. It has to end. And just like when a song is finished, it's the silence after the song that tells you that that song has been done. There's a last note. There's a finish to the song. And our lives have to come to that finish. And I, I've been blessed in that my grandparents were, were able to live long lives and to die in ways that were clean finishes to their life. Now, some people, that doesn't happen, right? And this is often tragically not the case but without droning on two two quick stories so man i can't remember it was last week sometime andy squires was here doing a concert at the church this past saturday and i shared this in my sermon on sunday and he was singing this song that has this line about the kingfisher ascending to its rightful throne which always makes me think of my grandfather because my grandfather 
there was a pond just down from his house and he would watch this kingfisher out the window sit on the couch by the fire look out the window with his binoculars watch this kingfisher for years and that line in andy's song always makes me think about my grandfather it was always so endearing so the other night we're in the concert andy starts gets to that line and all of a sudden in my mind's eye i see my grandfather but instead of him being the way i've always pictured him he looks tormented like and i and i see and i don't think this is a real memory it's like an impression that somehow appeared to me i see him terrified he's not long before he died he's deep into dementia and there's this kind of terror in his face that i think is pretty clearly my own terror and i hear this whisper it is not enough and i knew what that meant for me it was not something i believed personally but this kind of accusation that the life that he lived the sweetness of his knowledge of god the goodness of the man that he was that's not enough to to save him from that fear in that moment and like the the pain of like the the terror of that right like that's what evil does to us that's the fear i think we don't want to face and the only thing that saves us from that is the kind of fear that comes from the genuine hope that awakens in us when we face the fact that our god has died and has been risen and has been raised from the dead so then just a couple of days after, i mean so i was praying into that i know i'm going on long here but i, I need to finish this thought I had this, well, I'll, I'll come back to it. I'll, I'll share that later. I don't, I don't want to keep rambling on. I think, obviously, this touches something deep in me. And I think it does in all of us, if, we, if we're honest, right, about what, what it means to believe in this God who doesn't keep us from dying when everything in us is screaming to be kept from dying. Isn't it interesting, and as you're talking, and my personal moment to you, Chris, is like, I feel like you're one of those people that when you talk, I feel like I think better while you're talking. It's not just what you're saying. I feel like when you're talking, I think better. And as you're sharing, I'm thinking about this, and this is off the cuff, so this is probably, this is not completely thought through, but I'm thinking of Jesus saying two men in the field and two women at the mill, and I'm thinking how possibly genius these words are in the sense that the, the two men of the Bible are Adam and Jesus, and the two women of the Bible are Eve and Mary. Mm. And there's something about in us, striving in us, is like this toxic fear of death, and then this holy fear of death. And yeah. I feel like Advent makes us work that field and grind yeah. at that mill yeah. until Adam is gone and only Jesus is left. Yeah. And Eve is gone, and Mary, the one who brings forth Jesus, is left Absolutely. in us. Yep. In us, and so we we move from that like fallen, debased mentality to a not not like you said, not to being rescued from dying, but to face it, like John Bear says, uh, face it like a martyr, and and show the world the glory. Like what, what's the psalmist say? Teach me to number my days, yeah, that I may get a heart of wisdom, yeah. And so I just feel like the discipleship of Advent is the beginning of teaching us what ordinary life is. And ordinary life is facing the fact that we, our bodies are dying. And instead of feeling like that's a threat to our life, facing it humbly, 
and honestly, I feel it can begin to release a lot of tension that people are feeling as they age or as they get injured or as they deal with chronic illness or they get a couple surgeries two years in a row. I feel like these this kind of advent discussion, the announcement that we are saved from death and so we can enter dying well is maybe the most freeing part of the entire Christian year. <laughs> the yeah. announcement that, that that is taking place, which is funny, right? Because the Isaiah text, it's the first reading of the first day of the first of three cycles. So it's like the very first advent reading of the three yeah. years is Isaiah saying, walk in the light. Yeah. In the midst of darkness. And Absolutely. So I, yeah. yeah. That even though, yeah, because the thief has come, right? And now you've been taken up into that kind of thievery with him, right? You can live in the light, even if everyone else assumes it's darkness. I, I think I'm hearing that line in the psalm. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. That there is a way of seeing our death like that. Yep. But that our going to the house of the Lord is a is the ending of our life. And the recognizing that there's there's a way in which death can be the finish or the close of a work, like the end of a song or the last stroke of a painting or the last nail in the house that you've built, that's a that's a finish and not an interruption or disruption. And I I don't think that God wants us to like I think death as the disruption or interruption of our life that's an enemy death as nothingness that is an enemy but death as finish as close that's not an enemy and look at what the end of psalm 23 says goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life death and i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever Hmm. like that's what advent is trying to disciple us into i feel like is that the you cannot have the right you can't hope against hope until you face and you're honest about our own mortality yeah you've got to you in in that sense all of your wishful thinking has to die all of your magical thinking has to be destroyed yep uprooted so that then you can receive the seeds of hope and you know hope begins when you've got no childish wishfulness no fantasies left like now you can begin to imagine what what god wants for us mm-hmm. brewer i don't know if you're going to redirect us at well some point, i don't know sure. i may i may make this worse yeah i mean i'd like to jump into the romans text but before i do and we can we can just nix this or edit it out if we need to but it, it's hard for me to not hear that in, in how you're talking about it death becomes a kind of necessity for being human or or just for creaturely reality is 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 death a necessity for creaturely reality or is it just a necessity under the conditions that we live in i think endings and limits are a necessity so if if we think of death like so think about sleep i mean sleep is a kind of death and we have to sleep and I don't think sleep is in any way an evil. Mm-hmm. But the, in fact, I think in many ways in our sleep, we're most ourselves. That it's, it's, 
in in sleep we're we're almost certainly most honest with ourselves and with god when we're asleep which is one of the reasons i think the bible is filled with people whom god speaks to in their dreams right and and so there's a kind of i, I think there's a bad dreaming that is what we have to be awakened from and then there's a holy dreaming we have to be kind of awakened to and in that same way that we need to make that distinction back to the point bill made which i love like make the distinction there are two people at the well or two people at the mill or two people in the field one of them is you in christ and one of them is you in adam one of them is you and mary and one of them is you and eve like they have to be separated so there's a kind of death that is the enemy of god that's a disruption an interruption of our lives it's an attempt to undo what god is doing but there's an end to our lives, a finish, that I, I think, whatever name you want to give that, that is a good, right, okay. of, of rest, you know, finishing the work, right, that when we, we can come to the end of our days, you know, in, in scripture, we, we read about the patriarchs, that they, they died old and full of years, full of years, like they, they lived the fullness of their lives and it was finished so i think death as we know it death is that thing that separates us from each other yes that's not good and that is brought about because of what evil has done to this creation of gods mm -hmm. but there's a kind of completion that gives us distance from each other the distance of rest that is a good and is somehow was intended from the beginning belongs to this creation and i think in some ways it's translated up into the life life to come right and and i think we anticipate that a bit in our sleep I, to be personal again with my grandparents like i miss them i miss them for sure but i don't feel like there's anything missing from my relationship with them because they died like i want to be with them of course and and I do have a sense that I am with them, right? The day my grandfather died on Good Friday, seven years ago. And that day I went to his house where the house had been, the tornado had taken away, went to the barn where he taught me to pray. And I had this deep sense that he was with me. But what I think is the reason that's possible for me is that he didn't leave unfinished business. Like there wasn't some unhealed wound between us mm, and that's that, what you that mean by his that ending he he was able for, to live the kind of life that ended cleanly cl right that's yeah that that's the word you use that ended that ended cleanly despite the dementia right because that man i was trying to think i mean because we're going well, through yeah, that right I, I now think, with my grandmother i mean it's and it's it's horrific i mean it's it is that's horrific and i think that suffering clearly is a result of what we you know what we call fall sin evil injustice in the world that's not god's doing yeah but the fact that there could come and there needs to come an end to a life that's clean that finishes i mean i think that is entirely good and right mm -hmm. and it, there's a there's a kind of rest just like there's a time at the end of the day we go lie down and go to bed because it's time right i think yeah we, Advent is talk again. We need to think about this with lots of facets, and there certainly is a dimension of death that is not good. That is the enemy of God. That does not need to be 
embraced as somehow necessary or beautiful. But then there are aspects of the end of our lives, call it whatever you want, right? That Jesus shows us in the way that he dies and the saints show us in the way that they die, that that can become a door to God. It can be a way in which now we're going to the house of the Lord. And this is why Bonifer says, so there's this point at which Bonifer's in London. He's pastoring there. He preaches a sermon about an elderly woman that had died in the congregation. And he says, death came for her as a friend. Yeah, I remember this. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's two years later, maybe three years later. Now he's in, he's in Germany. He's teaching these seminary students about how to preach at funerals. And he says, mm-hmm. we must not say That's that right. death comes as a friend, but yeah. that Christ is our friend in death. Right. That distinction seems important to me. Right. Death, because what we're naming, we're naming death, right, is the corruption, the disruption and the separation that sin brings about. That's not God's doing. Hmm. Right. But the rest, the completion, the finishing, the the fullness. That comes at the end of our lives, that that is God's doing. And Christ is is our friend, I think, in the, in that sense too. Bill, what what do you think about this? I appreciate the um, well, one of the things that I was focusing on today when I was looking at this, and I this might be helpful for anybody who's feeling a bit overwhelmed right now. Hearing this, this the conversation is overwhelming in a lot of ways. It's supposed to be Advent for me this year. I'm thinking about how Advent is. Advent comes to bring discontinuity in areas where we have continuity in the wrong direction, right? And so Advent disrupts. And one of the things I said to a friend of mine from church is like, which way should we celebrate Advent? I said, Advent comes to make you uncomfortable with any way that you're used to celebrating Advent, right? (laughs) It's it's here to disrupt any flow of our life that causes us to not wrestle with our limitations so whether it's eating and drinking whether it's indulging in our relationships or like paul saying whether it's drunkenness orgies and all these kinds of like just overt indulgent behavior that keeps us from focusing on our limitations or work in the field even good things can can be like that advent comes to make us have to stop take our sandals off and stand on the holy ground, the reality that we are limited in physicality and we're limited in terms of time. Yeah. And it comes every year because like it says in the Isaiah text, we have to stop learning war and we have to learn his ways. We have to make tools that make peace. Right. I mean, that one of the things I love about that. I mean, we dismissed it, I think, far too easily or it's it's become almost cliched and pushed off into that future we were talking about you know down the line historically someday this will be true but this beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks is not simply to study war no more it is to study peace that's right it's to become the kind of people who can do the kind of work so it's to go back to that mill and grind bread yep. so that no one is hungry and that's to do right it together and that's what you know that's what some of the the church fathers were saying in the commentaries reading where it's like he's not saying 
you know, work is bad, but there's this way that you can indulge in it to your own ends that takes from other people. And he's not saying that, you know, sexual intimacy is bad, but there's a way that you can indulge in it that takes from other people. And like, he goes down the entire list. And I think it seems counterintuitive because we have a continuity in the wrong direction that not indulging makes me have to feel the pins and needles of my own mortality. Yes. And for a little while, that's incredibly uncomfortable. But as we trust the Lord and let Advent have that work, that's what brings, in my mind, that's what brings humility. That's what brings a low life that doesn't miss the least of these, that recognizes pain and suffering when we walk by it, right? Like the good Samaritan, it makes us want to stop. Like to me, the priest and the Levite, were so into the mill and the field that they couldn't see death when they walked by it. But yes. the Samaritan being somebody who's constantly suffering immediately recognizes death when he walks by it because he's aware of death. He's numbered his days. Mm-hmm. He knows that he could die. He could be the next one beat up on the side of the road. And he's the one who recognizes death in himself. Yeah. Respects the fact that he has limitations And then immediately he can see somebody that's half dead and sense that and then go and, and give of his work and, and offer to that person. So I just, I really feel like it's scary for me. I'm not going through what you're going through, Chris, um, with that serious like stroke level, but having had two foot surgeries, two years in a row, you're just realizing like my body's not bouncing back. Like when I was 20. Yeah. You know, it's got limitations now. It's got things that I'm probably going to deal with for the rest of my life. And Advent is coming at such a beautiful time. My temptation this year was to say, I can't wait until next Christmas when these health issues are over. <laughs> and Advent like stops me in my tracks and says, God has so many gifts for you as you focus on your mortality, as you accept those limitations there is such a way to slow down and see things that you wouldn't see in any other kind of circumstance because our mortality is bringing us so into the present. Mm. And so I just, I, I, I feel like the discipleship behind this is so such a spirit act in the church to make us have to do Advent this way every year to focus on our mortality and not run from it, but like run to it. Yes. And then it makes us sensitive in ways around us to see to see death in things that are half dead, like in the Good Samaritan story, mm. and and be there for it and and empathize with it. Yeah, and I think yeah, absolutely. And the when we talk about our mortality, mortality, I think we need to think: yes, we're going to die, but we're going to experience all kinds of deaths between now and then. Right? Yeah. Right the death of relationships, the death of careers, the death of dreams we had for art we wanted to to create, books we wanted to write. I mean, all all kinds of things can die, right? Dreams can die as surely as as bodies can. Yeah. And recognizing that all those deaths fit inside his dying. Yep. And when he comes to us, you know, the thief that comes in the night who is the light, when when he comes to us and he's always at hand, he comes to us as the one who's died and who's bringing us face to face with our own 
dyings, right? Yep. All all of our various dyings. And that that can be that that he's the one who can help us separate, right? Back to I love the image that you gave us, right? The two being in Adam and in Christ, in Eve and, and in Mary. Like we need to learn to let him sort those things in our lives, right? That there are there are things that should be grieved. I mean, I'm talking about this with my son, Clive, 14. He's still grieving what he lost when we moved from Tennessee to Florida, which is years ago now. And that's before we moved from Florida to Oklahoma. And he still grieves. I mean, he's 14, right? And he's grieving the friendships he lost. And he told me, I'm thinking about if – if we had stayed in Tennessee, I wouldn't have experienced what I experienced in Florida or here. I wouldn't be having to make all of the changes I'm making now to get ready for high school. Like everything would be different because I would have had these friendships. I would have had this school. I would have had this church. And already you can see that's he's grappling with death. He's not thinking about his own mortality. That's right. But he's experiencing death. Right all kinds of deaths. And of course, my responsibility as his dad is to help him be able to grieve and put the things to rest that need to be put to rest without pushing that aside. Because if if he pushes it aside when he's 24 and 34 and 44, that unfaced sorrow is going to keep him from seeing the Lord who's at hand, right? He's not, you're never, he's never going to be able to be present to Jesus in the present of his life, as long as that that death is unresolved behind him. So I think part of what we need to do is be able to finish those things, let them end, grieve the things that need to be grieved, be grateful for the things that we can celebrate. And so I, I obviously this this could entail most of our experience now, right? When we're, we're death touches everything, because that's that's some of what it means to be a creature at least in this world as as we know it. Yeah, I have this like weird, you know, if there's a therapist listening, uh, reach out to me. <laughs> um, but I have, I've over my life, I've had this weird moment where like, I find myself in these like, great little, little, little moments where it's like, I'm sitting there. And the two nights, uh, two nights ago, it starts snowing here in New York. Sophia, my six-year-old daughter, comes in. I'm obviously here with my foot up because of the surgery. She comes in and she says, can we watch Home Alone? So here we're drinking hot chocolate. We're watching Home Alone together. And my brain immediately says, what if I lose this one day? Just not not like tragically, just like one day she's yeah. going to be 16. I don't think she's yeah. going to want to watch Home Alone with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And because I'm in this new Advent space here, I that moment, it's like, Lord, get that Adam out of the field here because that that could be true. But because that could be true, I want to be I want to fight to be super present to this moment that I actually have, because if I if you fear the death the wrong way, it's going to take that moment from you before that moment's actually Absolutely. taken from you. That's right. That, and that's one of the things that makes right? Jesus such such a gift to us right one of the, the story of his life is the gospels tell it to us in that it's he's never anticipating obviously he knows all the way through the gospels it's clear that he knows he's going to jerusalem he's going to be betrayed he's going to be killed he knows that 
but but he's never living in that moment instead of the moment that's present right he's he sleeps on the boat and he's not jerking awake every few seconds worried about what's going to happen when he's in jerusalem at the end of this story right Right. even though he knows fully well so not only the storm that the disciples sense the storm that's coming to the world that is going to be the death of god outside the city of god he's sleeping because he's at peace not i mean when the moment comes in the garden then he says if it's possible then he sweats that's it then he grieves yep not a moment not a moment before even though he knows it and i think that that's what the enemy in that's what evil does to us is it gets us out of the moment there's a line in the psalm so it's verse three jerusalem is built as a city that is at unity with itself and I think all of us are meant, this This is what I'm trying to get at when I talk about a life as a complete thing. I need to be able to live so that my life is, is in the end at unity with itself. It's a city that's whole. Not everything in the city, everything in the city is its own thing, right? I mean, the, the temple is is not simply, I mean, the whole city is not a temple. The temple is in the city. It, within the temple itself, not everything is the holy of holies, right? And there yeah. are alleyways, and there are restaurants, and there are hotels and homes. There, are all, all of this that makes a city, and and my life, right, is just as diverse. And what I need to be able to be at peace with is that I can be in this moment right here, right now, with my eighteen-year-old daughter and my fourteen-year-old son and my nine-year-old son and Julie and myself as I am right now and trust that this is what it needs to be right now. And somehow when, when everything is done, as I entrust myself to God and the people God has caring for me, it will be a complete city at unity with itself. And I I think that's what keeps us from that, that confidence in God and in the time God is taking with us, the time God is making for us keeps us from jumping ahead or, or jumping back, like clinging to some past that we we regret having lost, or grasping for some future we think we desire, or, or trying to cling to this moment so that it doesn't get away from us into the past. I mean, I, I think that's gosh, I mean that teach teach us to number our days in that sense too. And so to the person who heard that, and it's like, so you got you got some of us who thankfully are in the moment where there's the hot chocolate and the home alone. And then there's other people who are like, well, I'm hearing you, but like I've suffered that tragedy and those things are gone now. And I'm in that place where I don't have someone and I don't have those moments. And I used to, and they've been taking like, that's the other part of what you just said was like, Jesus didn't let his future uh, trials take those moments. But when he got to them, when he got to them, he faced them honestly, knowing that ultimately death will lose its sting. Yes. And that the sword will become a plowshare and recultivate the Garden of Eden again. And so, like, all those things that are lost are found in him. Including, by the way, the sword that's used against him. Like, the sword that's used against him is a plow. Mm. He's the field that's opened up, right? So when Jeremiah, in the language of Jeremiah, no weapon formed against you will prosper, it doesn't mean you won't be struck by them it just means that the enemy's sword is god's plowshare right and and the this 
the weapon that is formed against you, it will, it may at least, damage you. But that damage is not deepest, right? And there's a way in which whatever it is doing, you know, the, the sword may cleave you, but that somehow mysteriously in the work of God, God's not using the sword, but God is making that sword into a plowshare, right? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So what God is doing is always deeper, mysteriously at work in ways that that evil cannot imagine. That's right. And, and so e evil can do its worst. and And yet you know, God's goodness supersedes. God, that's what I think we mean, when, or at least what I'm trying to mean when I say God is not in control because God is sovereign. He doesn't need to be. Right. All right, Brewer, you need to direct us toward the home stretch, toward the end, not the death of this <laughs> particular conversation. Well, I just love that, you know, given this talk about death, than now hearing Romans 13, which the first part of this passage contains one of my favorite lines in all of scripture, right? So having talked about death, thinking about this theme, you know what time it is, how it is the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer now to us than, we than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. And then it goes on, let us then lay aside the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, live honorably as in the day, not reveling in not reveling in drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So having heard what I've just heard from the both of you, I might hear this as, um, well, one, uh, that kind of both our end in that good and clean sense that you were talking about, but also death is not to be feared. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, but let's lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Um, let's, I mean, even just from that last bit of the conversation, riffing on that, that kind of presence, um, you know, let's, Let's live in this in this day. Let's be present. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not not out of our minds somewhere else, yeah. right? But here, not, not not drunk on our fear, right? Not drunk on nostalgia right. or ambition. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Be be present. Yeah, not caught up in quarrels. Not caught up in what someone else has the kind of life you wish you had or what you wanted, what you could have had or might have in the future. No. But instead put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Absolutely. And I, I, I love that image of the armor of light. There's a, there's a battle here, right? There's conflict, but the conflict is with the darkness and the fears that rise up in you in the midst of that dark. And he he's the one who emboldens you. This is a thief who comes near to embolden you. Right? Like, like, like he, again, reading the, the New Testament text alongside the gospel, you see, yes, the Lord is a thief who's coming in the night. Yeah, he is the day. And when he gets near you, you are yourself armored by his light because it lights you up. Like to yeah. see him is to be is to be enlightened in a way that 
armors you against the lies of the enemy and 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 your fears like the lie that i heard it is not enough i mean that's what i heard but it is enough that's precisely what it is like what my grandfather lived is precisely enough for his for his life to be whole mm -hmm. right and that absolutely is it's it's precisely what only god could make it is enough it's not too much or too little it's exactly enough right and i think what our enemy wants and I, I do think it's important that we realize during advent that well throughout the year but that our we cannot attend to the coming of the lord without recognizing that there there is one who's contending against us being aware right this is not just a matter of me willing myself to be present to god i, I there is a conflict right with the works of darkness with the desires that are in me, but also the pressures that are in the world against me. Mm -hmm. And to, to recognize that he, he is empowering me for that. He is gracing me for, for that conflict and that I then can resist that, those kinds of lies. When I hear it is not enough, I can say, no, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. It is enough. So last thing I'll, I'll share. And then Bill, I'll give you the last word the and this this is very much i don't know if fleming rutledge will ever hear this or not i'm assuming she will not but this is this is me at my most mccarthyan or cormacian so just just yesterday like in the aftermath of all this stuff that i've been experiencing and feeling that's that's mostly meant i mean i haven't been able to sleep in a long time it, you know obviously i'm sleeping off and on but like to have rest or to sleep for hours at a time i mean that just doesn't happen much anymore and two nights ago i did after some time of prayer i felt intercession from friends and when I woke up the next morning, I woke up and I had, I was still, I guess, asleep and it was a dream, sort of a dream, but I saw my father dead in the morgue and he was laid out on the table, completely nude. And I walked up to him and kissed him on the cheek. And the sense of closure, like in this moment, my, my father and I are at peace, right? That is settled. And hopefully he's going to live a long time. Hopefully I'm going to live a long time. But what that moment gave me was the sense of that's the clean ending. And it's already happened. Like, I don't have to wait until he dies. Like, the Lord came near to give me that. Right? So, yeah, if you want it, you want it darker, there you go. The, the, that's as weird and, and dark. But to me, it's incredibly precious. Because it means that work, just like with my grandfather, that work, I, I, I know I can trust that. That's settled. Like, that, that's complete. Sorry. Man, that's beautiful, Chris.
I want to I want to say one thing and then I want to read this prayer if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Very simple and like again like this is embarrassingly simple but it's the thing that I think really brought a lot of peace to some of my anxieties about the possibilities of loss or for anybody who's experienced it listening. There's something about all these texts. These are the first texts of the opening of the Christian year and it's the first year of the three-year cycle. These are the initial texts that we'll read launching us into three years of this. And there's something beautiful about the consistency of the announcement. In every one of the liturgical seasons, there's an announcement that Christ has come, is here, and is coming. In all their various ways, Lent says it its way, Easter says it its way, Ordinary Time says it its way, Advent says it in a very ambient sort of way. But I just feel like every day of our life, we're hearing announcements. And we have to discipline ourselves to hear the soft, won't break a bruised reed announcement of Advent. Like it, it speaks into our loss in ways that no other announcements do. So it's either Isaiah saying God's going to build his temple on the holy hill again, or it's Paul saying it's almost dawn, the night is far gone, or it's Jesus saying, you know, essentially, I'm not going to be a thief in the night. I'm going to be the thief of the night, right? And I'm going to steal the night so that it will be perpetual day. And I just think very simply, we have to read these texts. We have to listen to these songs like JP just sang. We have to keep hearing the announcement. The announcement is the grace of God to face the next thing that we're going to face the next pang, the next anxiety, the next loss, yeah. the next surgery, whatever it is. I just want to read this prayer, if that's all right. Please. Almighty God, you teach us in your word that love is the fulfilling of the law. Grant that, me, that we may love you with all our heart and our neighbor as ourself, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Save us, Jesus, from hurrying away because we do not wish to help, because we may not know how to help, or because selfishly we dare not help. Inspire us to use our lives serving one another. Jesus Christ, you have taught us that what we do to each other, we do to you. Make us quick to help and slow to hurt, knowing that in our neighbor, it is you who receive our love and neglect or neglect. I feel like that prayer like really struck me for what Paul's saying in Romans 13, where it's like, once you face the limitations, you stop living this life of taking, taking, taking the one person who truly faced the fact that he was going to die, right? Fully and completely faced it is, is giving itself. And so I feel like for for anybody who feels hopeless because a lot has been taken, I think as we're honest about those feelings, we become so equipped to give life to people and that you're more equipped than you realize you are to give life and healing to people. I feel like that's a large part of this first week of Advent is empowering people to know your loss doesn't disqualify you from being somebody who can give. No, not yeah, anything but that. In fact, I mean, we, we all lose. We're all we are all going to lose, have lost, but there all of that is held 
right within the lossless one yeah i think i think what i well brewer i what were you, what were you gonna say um no I, nothing to add i don't think just just this is just touching on i think a lot for me yeah yeah it's it's yeah no i'm with you i what i was going to say bill and maybe we'll just stop with this i'll i'll say a prayer and and we'll come back next week and talk about judgment but <laughs> i think just just as it's true that the sword the enemy uses against us is in god's hand a plowshare i think another way of saying that same thing is the sword the places you've been wounded the, the sword has been used against you can be in your spirit can out of your life it can work as a plowshare it can yeah. have opened you up yes to be the kind of person who's able to bring life out of death right you know the i think that's what we we have to mean by redemption right yes that god is able not that god allows bad things to happen to us so he can make good things come from it but that no matter what bad has happened to us the goodness of God can work against that, can spring up in spite of that and and work out from it so that, again, the sword wound is, in fact, just open ground and for, for the seed and the rain. So that's what I'm going to pray. God, we, we are grateful that you're a God who did not leave us to death but you're a God who took our death as yours, died it for us and with us, and put it to death so that we can, you are you are the one who can save us from death, and you have and you will. And in the meantime, as we are dying, you are present to us so that we can be present to you and present to one another. I pray that all of us, as we're leaning into this season, turning our attention to you, to your coming, that we will, even if we are afraid, we will trust you and trust that we can face this, that we are in you capable of far more than we know we are capable yeah. of. And that what's happened to us, whether it's from just the nature of things or it's people who've turned against us or our own failings that whatever's happened to us is not what's defining us that, the, that all of those wounds are really just in your care openings for life to begin again i pray that we will accept that and accept it with with joy and anticipation we pray this with christ and by the spirit amen 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 see you next week chris's prayer was indeed the official ending in this first of our advent series however i have rather sneakily uh asked ian to throw in this unofficial ending to this first. Earlier you heard Father JP and Reverend Diana 
offer up a rendition of let all mortal flesh keep silent. But that's the second version we received because he sent us a longer instrumental version prior to this. And I have to tell you, I absolutely love it. However, Father Bill and I had some creative differences in what should go in the podcast, hence my secrecy in asking Ian to offer this. So, for all of you listening, I'd like to present Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silent, the instrumental version. Peace. Thank you.
Thank you.